A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm for bringing you this podcast. Hello again, everyone. Today, we learn about a very famous ship that went down in the Great Lakes. I'm Tom Zania, and this is Tom Read Your Story. Coming to you almost live, it's time once again for Tom Reads Your Story, the number one spoken word podcast on the web for audiobooks, social media posts, current events, and just plain whatever. So let's start the show. For the next half hour, I'll be your host. I'm voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And we are back. Welcome back, everyone, to Tom Read Your Story. I'm glad you're here. So here's what's happening this summer. I am going to Michigan, where my loved ones are, for a family reunion that happens yearly uh, for one of my brother's birthdays. He lives near Lake Michigan. And, of course, that got me to thinking about Something that happened, well, a lot of things have happened on the Great Lakes, but one big thing that did happen in Lake Superior is the sinking of what is now uh, a well-known ship, and it's called, it was called, the Edmund Fitzgerald, the largest barge on the Great Lakes uh, that hauled iron ore to the many factories, auto plants, uh, back when we had auto plants, uh, that were in the Great Lakes region. And there was a song uh, that was done by Gordon Lightfoot, uh, the Canadian folk singer, who sounds a little bit like Dylan, but that's another show. (laughs) And he sings about the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And I think that might be how I actually heard about it. I don't, I don't think I remember seeing a news report, a national news report. There was one, but I didn't see the national news report regarding this disaster. And I think I learned about it through that song instead. Um, so the Edmund Fitzgerald, as I said, was the a big barge that uh, that held uh, iron ore mostly. I don't know if, what else they might have hauled, but I only know that they hauled iron ore. Uh, and well, you know what? I actually recorded a little bit of info for you folks who have never heard of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and it's from Wikipedia. Here it is. The SS Edmund Fitzgerald was an American Great Lakes freighter that sank in Lake Superior during a storm on November 10, 1975, with the loss of the entire crew of 29 men. When launched on June 7, 1958, she was the largest ship on North America's Great Lakes, and she remains the largest to have sunk there. She was located in deep water on November 14, 1975, by a U.S. Navy aircraft detecting magnetic anomalies and found soon afterwards to be in two large pieces. 
For 17 years, Edmund Fitzgerald carried taconite iron ore from mines near Duluth, Minnesota, to ironworks in Detroit, Toledo, and other Great Lakes ports. As a workhorse, she set seasonal haul records six times, often breaking her own record. Captain Peter Pulser was known for piping music day or night over the ship's intercom while passing through the St. Clair and Detroit rivers between Lakes Huron and Erie, and entertaining spectators at the Sioux Locks between Lake Superior and Huron, with a running commentary about the ship. Her size, record-breaking performance, and DJ Captain endeared Edmund Fitzgerald to boat watchers. So I wanted to get a piece of spoken word material that would best express the moment-by-moment disaster, for want of a better word, of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And I found this website called the Shipwreck Museum, and it's a nice... It's not long. Uh, it's it's short, but it's it's concise. The information is good, um, and it's uh, it explains with characters uh, what went on. And uh, I think you'll like this. Here it is. The fateful journey. By Sean Lay, Development Officer, the Shipwreck Museum. The final voyage of the Edmund Fitzgerald began November 9, 1975, at the Burlington Northern Railroad Dock No. 1, Superior, Wisconsin. Captain Ernest M. McSorley had loaded her with 26,116 long tons of taconite pellets made of processed iron ore, heated and rolled into marble-sized balls. Departing Superior about 2.30 p.m., she was soon joined by the Arthur M. Anderson, which had departed Two Harbors, Minnesota, under Captain Bernie Cooper. The two ships were in radio contact. The Fitzgerald, being the faster, took the lead, with the distance between the vessels ranging from 10 to 15 miles. Aware of a building November storm entering the Great Lakes from the Great Plains, Captain McSorley and Captain Cooper agreed to take the northerly course across Lake Superior, where they would be protected by highlands on the Canadian shore. This took them between Isle Royal and the Keweenaw Peninsula. They would later make a turn to the southeast to eventually reach the shelter of Whitefish Point. Weather conditions continued to deteriorate. Gale warnings had been issued at 7 p.m. on November 9, upgraded to storm warnings early in the morning on November 10th. While conditions were bad, with winds gusting to 50 knots and seas 12 to 16 feet, both captains had often piloted their vessels in similar conditions. In the early afternoon on November 10, the Fitzgerald had passed Michipicoten Island and was approaching Caribou Island. The Anderson was just approaching Michipicoten about three miles off the West End Light. Captain Cooper maintained 
that he watched the Edmund Fitzgerald pass far too close to Six Fathom Shoal, to the north of Caribou Island. He could clearly see the ship and the beacon on Caribou on his radar set and could measure the distance between them. He and his officers watched the Fitzgerald pass right over the dangerous area of shallow water. By this time, snow and rising spray had obscured the Fitzgerald from sight, visible 17 miles ahead on radar. At 3.30 p.m. that afternoon, Captain McSorley radioed Captain Cooper and said, Anderson, this is the Fitzgerald. I have a fence rail down, two vents lost or damaged, and a list. I'm checking down. Will you stay by me till I get to Whitefish? McSorley was checking down his speed to allow the Anderson to close the distance for safety. Captain Cooper asked McSorley if he had his pumps going, and McSorley said, Yes, both of them. As the afternoon wore on, radio communications with the Fitzgerald concerned navigational information, but no extraordinarily alarming reports were offered by Captain McSorley. At about 5.20 p.m., the crest of a wave smashed the Anderson's starboard lifeboat, making it unusable. Captain Cooper reported winds from the northwest by west at a steady 58 knots with gusts to 70 knots and seas 18 to 25 feet. According to Captain Cooper, about 6.55 p.m., he and the men in the Anderson's pilot house felt a bump, felt the ship lurch, and then turned to see a monstrous wave engulfing their entire vessel from astern. The wave worked its way along the deck, crashing on the back of the pilot house, driving the bow of the Anderson down into the sea. Then the Anderson just raised up and shook herself off all that water, just like a big dog. Another wave, just like the first one or bigger, hit us again. I watched those two waves head down the lake towards Fitzgerald, and I think those were the two that sent him under. Keeping watch. Morgan Clark, first mate of the Anderson, kept watching the Fitzgerald on the radar set to calculate her distance from some other vessels near Whitefish Point. He kept losing sight of the Fitzgerald on the radar from sea return, meaning that seas were so high they interfered with the radar reflection. First Mate Clark spoke to the Fitzgerald one last time, about 7.10 p.m. Fitzgerald, this is the Anderson. Have you checked down? Yes, we have. Fitzgerald, we are about 10 miles behind you and gaining about one and a half miles per hour. Fitzgerald, there is a target 19 miles ahead of us so the target would be nine miles on ahead of you. Well, answered Captain McSorley. Am I going to clear? Yes, he is going to pass to the west of you. Well, fine. By the way, Fitzgerald, how are you making out with your problems? Asked Clark. We are holding our own. Okay, fine. I'll be talking to you later. Clark signed off. The radar signal, or PIP, of the Fitzgerald kept getting obscured by sea return, and around 7.15 p.m. the PIP was lost again, but this time did not reappear. Clark called the Fitzgerald again at about 7.22 p.m. There was no answer. 
Captain Cooper contacted the other ships in the area by radio, asking if anyone had seen or heard from the Fitzgerald. The weather had cleared dramatically. His written report states, At this time I became very concerned about the Fitzgerald. Couldn't see his lights when we should have. I then called the William Clay Ford to ask him if my phone was putting out a good signal and also if perhaps the Fitzgerald had rounded the point and was in shelter. After a negative report, I called the Sioux Coast Guard because I was sure something had happened to the Fitzgerald. The Coast Guard were at this time trying to locate a 16-foot boat that was overdue. With mounting apprehension, Captain Cooper called the Coast Guard once again, about 8 p.m., and firmly expressed his concern for the welfare of the Fitzgerald. The Coast Guard then initiated its search for the missing ship. By that time, the Anderson had reached the safety of Whitefish Bay to the relief of all aboard. But the Coast Guard called Captain Cooper back at 9 p.m. Anderson, this is Group Sue. What is your present position? We're down here about two miles off Parisian Island right now. The wind is northwest 40 to 45 miles here in the bay. Is it calming down at all, do you think? In the bay it is, but I heard a couple of the salties talking up there, and they wished they hadn't gone out. Do you think there is any possibility, and you could uh, come about and go back there and do any searching? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, that... That sea out there is tremendously large. Uh, if you want me to, I can, but I'm not going to be making any time. I'll be lucky to make two or three miles an hour going back out that way. Well, you'll have to make a decision as to whether you will be hazarding your vessel or not. But you're probably one of the only vessels right now that can get to the scene. We're going to try to contact those saltwater vessels and see if they can't possibly come about and possibly come back also. Things look pretty bad right now. It looks like she may have split apart at the seams like the Morel did a few years back. Well, that's what I've been thinking. But we were talking to him about seven, and he said that everything was going fine. He said that he was going along like an old shoe, no problems at all. Well, again, do you think you could come about and go back and have a look in the area? Well, I'll go back and take a look, but God, I'm afraid I'm going to take a hell of a beating out there. I'll turn around and give her a whirl, but God, I don't know. I'll give it a try. That would be good. Do you realize what the conditions are out there? No reply from the Coast Guard. Captain Cooper tries again. Affirmative. From uh, what your reports are, I can appreciate the conditions. Again, though, I have to leave that decision up to you as to whether it would be hazarding your vessel or not. If you think you can safely go back up to the area, I would request that you do so. But I have to leave the decision up to you. I'll give it a try, but that's all I can do. The Anderson turned out to be the primary vessel in the search, taking the lead. 
with the ship pounding and rolling badly, the crew of the Anderson discovered the Fitzgerald's two lifeboats and other debris, but no sign of survivors. Only one other vessel, the William Clay Ford, was able to leave the safety of Whitefish Bay to join in the search at the time. The Coast Guard launched a fixed-wing HU-16 aircraft at 10 p.m. and dispatched two cutters, the Naugatuck and the Woodrush. The Naugatuck arrived at 12.45 p.m. on November 11, and the Woodrush arrived on November 14, having journeyed all the way from Duluth, Minnesota. The Coast Guard conducted an extensive and thorough search. On November 14, a U.S. Navy plane equipped with a magnetic anomaly detector located a strong contact 17 miles north-northwest of Whitefish Point. During the following three days, the Coast Guard cutter Woodrush, using a side-scan sonar, located two large pieces of wreckage in the same area. Another survey was conducted November 22 through 25. Finding the Fitzgerald. The following May 1976, Woodrush was again on the scene to conduct a third side-scan sonar survey. Contacts were strong enough to bring in the U.S. Navy's Curve 3 controlled underwater recovery vehicle operating from Woodrush. The Curve 3 unit took 43,000 feet of videotape and 900 photographs of the wreck. On May 20th, 1976, the words Edmund Fitzgerald were clearly seen on the stern, upside down, 535 feet below the surface of the lake. On April 15, 1977, the U.S. Coast Guard released its official report of Subject, SS Edmund Fitzgerald, official number 277437, sinking in Lake Superior on 10 November 1975 with loss of life. While the Coast Guard said the cause of the sinking could not be conclusively determined, it maintained that the most probable cause of the sinking of the USS Edmund Fitzgerald was the loss of buoyancy and stability resulting from massive flooding of the cargo hold. The flooding of the cargo hold took place through ineffective hatch closers as boarding seas rolled along the spar deck. However, the Carriers Association vigorously disagreed with the Coast Guard's suggestion that the lack of attention to properly closing the hatch covers by the crew was responsible for the disaster. They issued a letter to the National Transportation Safety Board in September 1977. The Lake Carriers Association was inclined to accept that Fitzgerald passed over the Six Fathom Shoal area, revealed that it is likely she submarined, bow first, into an enormous sea, as damage forward is indicative of a powerful, quick force to the superstructure. But what caused the ship to take on water, enough to lose buoyancy and dive the bottom so quickly, without a single cry for help, cannot be determined. Twenty-nine men were lost when the Fitzgerald went down. There is absolutely no conclusive evidence to determine the cause of the sinking. The bell of the ship is now on display in the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum as a memorial to her lost crew. And I hope you like that from the uh, Shipwreck Museum. That brings us to the end 
of yet another episode of Tom Reed's Story. Portions were pre-recorded. Please tell your friends if you enjoyed your visit today, because we're always looking for new ones. Thanks, Anchor.fm, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Let's close the show today with the song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And I just discovered this. Rather than play the Gordon Lightfoot song, with all due respect to him, I want to play something that I just stumbled upon on YouTube. It's a group that I've never heard of called the Punch Brothers. And they're kind of a string band. They're they're like a guitarist, a stand-up bass, and one of those little those little mini guitars, someone playing that, and uh, a fiddler. And I'd never heard of these guys. They're the Punch Brothers, and they cover The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, the song that Gordon Lightfoot wrote. I hope you like it. We'll see you next week. Another legend lives on from the Chippewan down at the great lake they call The lake, it is sad, never gives up the dead when the skies are moving With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald waiting. But that good ship it chewed, it wasn't going to be chewed when the gales of November came early. The ship was the pride of the American side, coming back from some mill in Wisconsin. As the big freight is gone, it was bigger than most With a crew and good captain well seasoned Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left falling loaded for Cleveland But later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they've been feeling? And a wave broke over the railing And every man knew as the captain did too It was the witch of November come steeping The dawn came late and the breakfast had to wait When the gales of November came slashing Then afternoon came and it was freezing rain In the face of a hurricane west wind When summer time came the old cook came on deck He said fellas it's too at 7 p.m. the main hatchway gate did he said, fellas, it's been good to know you. The captain wired in, he had water coming in, and the good ship and crew were in peril. And later that night, when his lights went out of sight, came the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald.
When the gales of November come early 